fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about land title rights with my friend Caitlin. Mm, great. How are you, Caitlin? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm ready to get into it. Nothing really new to talk about in this weird introduction segment. <laughs> If you enjoy this show, please consider donating to us on patreon.com slash imperial news. We're almost at $60 per episode. So uh, if you can push us over that edge, then we will become semi-profitable? Semi? Something like that? Let's get right into it, the Imperial Roundup! (laughs) Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. March 2nd. So Ezra spends the first little bit of this show debating the merits of a tweet by the CBC. Because, of course, that's the most important thing going on right now. Mm. And this tweet is, a, is about an arrangement that was made regarding land title rights. Uh, for the Wet'suwet'en and how it might affect talks regarding the LNG pipeline. I'm not sure, like, did you hear much about this agreement? There was a bunch of news that that went around about it, some of it more confusing than others. And as this will play out in this episode, it's clear that it has confused Ezra quite a bit. (laughs) But we will get to it. So for background, Federal Crowned Indigenous Relations Minister, Carolyn Bennett, for the uh, Federal Liberal Party, and British Columbia Indigenous Relations Minister Scott Fraser, who's of the NDP in BC, they met with the Wet'suwet'en hereditary Chief Woos to discuss land title rights. And they came up with what is called an arrangement. And now the Wet'suwet'en are going to have an internal discussion regarding this arrangement. So this arrangement hasn't been made public. It's it's kind of like bargaining with the employer, mm. right? So it's like the bargaining unit and the employer have come up with an agreement. And before they tell the world what that agreement is, they're now going to bring it to their members and have an internal discussion. Yeah. But in this case, it's an arrangement. Now, I think that word is going to trip Ezra up quite a bit because Ezra's like, is it a deal? Is it a contract? What is it? It's an arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> just he, he can't wrap his brain around it. And and part of like the other part of it is he then gets to conspiracy theorize about what is contained in the arrangement and why there's like no details about it. Mm-hmm. And so this whole like, as I said, bar, like kind of like collective bargaining scenario, he doesn't get it. He's like, it's a public thing. It should be like aware to everyone. We should all have access to it. The other thing is like Ezra seems to think that there should be some sort of agreement or like contract. And I think I think the reason why he thinks this is because he thinks this actually has to do with the pipeline. He keeps waffling back and forth because he is aware that the article from which the CBC tweet is sort of like referring to yeah. does mention the pipeline, but it only mentions it mentions it that this is like the pipeline issue surrounds what's going on here. Yeah. But the thing is, like, the agreement that's raised has nothing to do with the pipeline. And it, both parties even acknowledge this, saying that the government side of the equation still wants the pipeline and is still going forward with it. 
and the indigenous side of the equation is still against the pipeline and doesn't want to go yeah. through it, right? So that is aside from the question about whatever this arrangement is about the land title rights. But again, Ezra's going to conspiracy theory about this because he thinks that since all the secret stuff, it's really a secret deal to quash the pipeline that they don't want us to know about. So that's why there's all the secrecy. And Ezra also thinks that the CBC is part of the cover-up. A Wet'suwet'en hereditary chief and senior government officials say they have reached a proposed arrangement <clears throat> to acknowledge land title rights established more than 20 years ago in a Supreme Court decision. What? 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 I thought we were talking about a pipeline here. Okay, well, maybe the agreement speaks for itself, as they say. As in, if you can't describe something, maybe just look at it. Uh, I mean, if an agreement would be made of words... Just, just look at what the words say in the agreement. What? Yeah, about that. Um, Federal Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Carolyn Bennett and British Columbia Indigenous Relations Minister Scott Fraser would not give details on the proposed arrangement, saying it first has to be reviewed by the Wet'suwet'en people. Oh, okay. So it's a secret deal, but it isn't a deal, but it's secret, and it would be reviewed by the Wet'suwet'en people. But hang on, the Wet'suwet'en people have already agreed to the pipeline, uh, 20 out of 20 First Nation bands along the route. That's all of them. Some of them even had referendums. They, they have a deal, a contract. You can read it. It's in plain English. Uh, you need a contract before you build a $20 billion. Actually, I learned today it's much bigger than that, all included. The pipeline part alone uh, is about $6 billion. That's the part that these bands are most interested in. So my guess is that it's being called an arrangement because it is actually the government that has been breaking the law here. And so what they're doing is they're acknowledging what the law already stipulates and agreeing with the Wet'suwet'en that they're not going to continue to violate this law. Mm. Even though, in my opinion, by continuing with this pipeline, they're probably going to be violating that law. So back in 1997, there was a Supreme Court decision that basically ruled that the Wet'suwet'en and the hereditary system had jurisdiction over 58,000 square kilometers of land in northern B.C., and this land uh, was never ceded to Canada, and they argued in court based on like oral traditions and stuff like this. Like it set a whole bunch of precedents in the court system that basically this land was never given to Canada, and therefore Canada, the Indian Act had no jurisdiction over it. And that's why my guess it's being framed as an arrangement. It, it would be like the law is already in place, and now the government is saying, "All right, all right." We're not going to try to impose our will on you anymore, whatever. Mm -hmm. And now it's just up to the Wet'suwet'en, I guess, to believe them or not believe them. And given their track record, would you want to believe? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, it's pretty uh, sketch. Which gets to the next point is Ezra continues to discuss the band councils in this clip, uh, which were established by the Indian, Indian Act and then imposed on indigenous communities. So it's not like the indigenous communities got to decide the band cancel system, this was imposed on them through an act of parliament. And then the, what this court case is saying, the one back in 1997, is that those band councils and their laws do not work in the, the wet sweat territory. They only work on the reserve. Mm -hmm. He can go on and on all he wants <laughs> about these band cancel systems. And it really doesn't matter. That's not what the law says. 
Now, this is really confusing uh, to everyone involved, because if the Liberal government and the BC government are acknowledging the land title rights that were already legally provided by the Supreme Court of Canada in 1997, why are they still pushing for a pipeline to be built on that territory, which is unseated and under Wet'suwet'en hereditary jurisdiction without the consent of the Wet'suwet'en people on their territory? If I didn't do any of this reading and I was just a average Joe human being, I would be totally confused <laughs> with what is happening with all the, the weird bits of information that get thrown at us. Are you saying you're above the average Joe, Jody? Uh, I, I probably read more about this than the average <laughs> Joe, yes. And, and here's the thing is, I don't even feel like I've grasped uh, the, the full implications of all this because I don't have an expertise in the, yeah. the Indian Act and all this stuff, which is why like, I love to get... I had another uh, person lined up to talk about these issues, and I, again, have not heard back from them. Oh, <laughs> like, I keep trying to get someone on. Uh, it's a busy time it. for them, so. It's a busy time for everyone, but uh, it's caused me to do so much reading on this. Maybe by the end, once, once Ezra's finally done talking about this on his show, I'll be like an expert on uh, these issues. Now that Ezra's done with all that nonsense, he was going to go into detail about this Chief Wu's character. And whether he's a legitimate chief, not a fake one, like all, because all the wet sweat and people are not real indigenous, they're fake indigenous. Ezra begins by saying that none of the band chiefs were present at the meeting with the liberals and the NDP, and says that only uh, the bands are legitimate because of the Indian Act, which again isn't true, but that's what Ezra states. But now Ezra goes into a bit deeper into Chief Wu's, saying his real name is Frank Allen, which is true, and that his uh, LinkedIn. So he goes to Frank Wu's LinkedIn profile, and it shows he's connected to a bunch of indigenous-based NGOs. Okay. And Ezra uses this as an opportunity to play a clip of an ind indigenous man named Ellis Ross. You got yourself a fake justice minister. You got yourself a fake Indian affairs minister. You got fake news from the fake state broadcaster. But the biggest fake part, as I mentioned to you before, is this fake chief who calls himself Chief Woos. And that's not his name. His name is Frank Alec. Uh, here's his LinkedIn page. It uh, shows he's just a lifelong member of what I call the Indian industry. Bureaucrats and lawyers and politicians who live off the government, live off the system, off endless meetings and complaints and hearings. He's monetized the problems of his people. They've you know, the industry, the Indian industry, has figured out how to make a living off the process itself. Not to actually solve the problems on reserves, but to turn those problems into an industry. What a difference between him and, say, the former Indian chief, Ellis Ross, who was also recently interviewed by Evan Solomon. What would your message be for the, the leaders who are running these blockades in places like Quebec and Ontario, and many people who are standing in solidarity with them? You're from the Heisla Nation. What would your message be to them? Well, if you really want to stand up for our rights, uh, well, actually, we did that job 15 years ago, and we've been steadily increasing it. That's why we have so much success in communities like mine. And our ultimate goal was to get away from Indian Act funding. I mean, the rest of the Indian Act provisions don't even, aren't even relevant to us in today's day and age. It's only the dependency on the funding that's actually keeping us down. Rights and title has actually opened up a whole new world for us where we can actually bring in our own revenues, build our own apartments, build our own houses or soccer fields and everything else. And it's a great feeling, you know, to say at some point in our future, no, Ottawa, we don't need your Indian Act funding. Take it away. Wow. 
Yeah, so notice that Ross is talking about getting away from Indian Act funding. No, I was just about to say that's a huge contradiction. How could he show that clip? That was like a part of the show, right? Him showing right. that clip, right? So it, like you just didn't play it. Wait, wait, you yeah. just didn't play it like back to back. What do you mean? Like, oh, okay. So at first I thought maybe you just right away played another clip to show that that's no, not what so they said. No, so Ezra, Ezra leaded into it and then so dumb. played that clip. And that's here's so the thing. That's so fucking like, stupid. Because the whole time it's like they're not... I mean, I don't think he has an understanding of that court case. I mean, he talked about the Supreme Court case on a show showing that these people aren't under the Indian Act. And yet he plays the clip of Ross showing, like, yeah. the best thing to do is get off the Indian Act. Well, guess what? The wet sweat. <laughs> like, they did it. They're off the Indian Act. Yeah. It's like he just, what he likes about Ellis Ross is because Ellis Ross has this kind of, like, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps buy oil and pipelines and industry and get your jobs kind of attitude. And that's really all Ezra is like grasping onto to highlight on his show. And the other thing is like, we, we've already talked about Ellis Ross, but you probably forgot about it because he did the foreword to Mark Milkey's book, The Vil- Victim Cult, mm-hmm. which we talked about in our episode 11, which was basically Mark Milkey talking about how indigenous people are, they're to blame for all their own problems. It has nothing to do with anything else that's ever happened. It's just that indigenous people are woe is me victims and therefore cause all their problems. And Ellis Ross wrote the foreword to that book. So he's the right kind of indigenous person that's like, all you need is a good attitude and entrepreneurial spirit and get out there and fix your problems. Mm-hmm. Everything the government did is just... So long as they're not fund look for anything that the government did is not bad, so long as you don't accept their funding, apparently. <laughs> apparently that's when you get hooked you get hooked on the government's junk and then you <laughs> you can't get off of it. That's what that goes a bit further into this Chief Wu's claim of being a hereditary chief by discussing three women who were stripped of their hereditary titles. Hereditary house chiefs say Frank Alex took over the title of Woos at a ceremony in March 2, but Miss Glame said many Matuatan members consider her to be the true Woos, the hereditary chief title for Grizzly House under the Gitdumnan clan. We are supposed to work together as people, Miss Glame said. I hope that our nation can come together to heal from this situation. So exactly one year ago today, Frank Alec, a man, obviously, just took over a lifetime hereditary title of chief. He took it from three women, even though the title passes from mother to daughter to granddaughter. That's what matrilineal means. He's a fake. He's an imposter. (laughs) So, of course, Trudeau's minister met with him instead of the three women who support the pipeline. Frank Alec is not a real elected chief under the Indian Act. And according to Wet'suwet'en tradition, he's not even a hereditary chief. He's, He's fake. And he works with the fake First Nations, the Wet'suwet'en office, which isn't an Indian band at all. In fact, it's bought and paid for with Tides Foundation money out of California. You can find this yourself on the internet. They they boast about it. Fake, fake, fake. Now this stuff is complicated, so I don't want to pretend like I'm speaking from any type of authority here. But I'm going to try to walk through some aspects of the hereditary chief system. First... Ezra is wrong about what matrilineal means, so he says it's got to be like the the mother, granddaughter, and all that. But you can have chiefs that are male because it has to do with 
the matrilineal lineage and not every woman has a daughter. And so there's other chiefs. I think there was nine hereditary chiefs and I think five of them prior were already men, right? So it's not like it has to be a woman to be a part of the matrilineal Mm -hmm. line. Part of it is it's not clear to me how someone obtains chief status through this hereditary system because it's clear that it does have something to do with hereditary or hereditary lines, obviously, and it has something to do with the matrilineal line. But there's other ceremonies and processes involved as well. So, for example, these women, they were stripped of their title, not because Chief Wu's himself was like, yoink, I've taken your title. But what happened was it turned out so the, the three women, there was three women who had their title stripped and they formed a committee that was called the uh, Wet's Wet and Matrilineal Coalition. And they were strongly in favor of the LNG pipeline. They promoted it and liked the idea. And it also turned out that they were receiving thousands of dollars from Gas Link, which was building the pipeline. So they were being paid by the pipeline company. Now, because of this, the other groups of chiefs who were against the pipeline held ceremonies and basically removed the titles from them. And then they basically gave the names to these other people, including Frank Alec, who is Chief Wu's. Mm-hmm. So it used to belong to someone named Darlene Glame. She used to be Chief Who's, and now Frank Alec is Chief Who's. Now, there might be sexism involved here. I don't know, uh, beyond much of what I've read. But these women were working with the pipeline and were losing support with the other chiefs who were anti-pipeline. And I don't know enough about the rules and regulations of the hereditary system to decide whether the stripping of their titles is actually legitimate under the Wet'suwet'en laws is the wrong word, but like whatever it is that governs them, right? But on the other hand, it isn't really up to me to say since it isn't my government. But Ezra, concern trolling in the name of feminism is just rich. So rich. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, because here's the thing is, there could be sexism and anti-women issues here. I will note that there's a lot of women involved that are anti-pipeline that are supporting these chiefs. Is that relevant? I don't know. But uh, it's worth just highlighting. This thing is complicated. And obviously, because here's the other end of it too. It's like, obviously, these things are going to be split amongst the community. And it's hard for me to say how many how much of the wet so wet naturally support this and how many are against it. But it's clear there's a strong contingent that are against it. And I happen to agree with them for being against it, right? But there always is going to be internal. I mean, where have you found a homogenous community that is all, everyone agrees on the, the same thing. Lastly, notice how the Tides Foundation, again, was brought up. But now we've added more to the narrative, which is that it's connected specifically to the California Tides Foundation, which is not true. (laughs) It's on the news, though. You can Google it. Oh, yeah. He said, go to the internet and find it out. Well, like, well, the only internet source that I've found is a white genocider named Black King that we talked about in our last episode. So thanks, Ezra. Just go to the internet. Figure it out. Do your own research. One point Ezra made that was really out of place was a conspiracy theory that our 
Oh, yeah, so I didn't get to this in the main segment. It's like way out of contact. But you know how he goes on those like side tangents? Yeah. Well, I think I'll bring up one of them now, which is that there was a conspiracy theory that a recent arson of a Siena, Siena rail building was caused by a someone linked to the wet sweatin roadblock or rail blockades or anything like this. It turns out they found a suspect and it's not the case that it had anything to do with the wet sweatin thing. But this is going to be a common narrative and we're going to see it in, uh, I guess, future episodes mm-hmm. as well. Is that anything having to do with rail now in the near future is all going to be blamed on the wet sweatin. And you can tell like what's happening here is like these kinds of things are probably happening all the time. But because we're talking about blockades now, the media is therefore hyper-focused on anything that has to do with like rail stuff. Mm -hmm. So you have this one building that happened to belong to the CN, happened to burn, and everyone's going to jump to, is it what's what? Yeah. Ezra then has on everyone's favorite and uh, Italian heritage sharer, Manny Montenegro. (laughs) And uh, he also seems to be very confused about what an arrangement means or an agreement or a Mm -hmm. deal or a contract. And man, we're just all so confused about this. (laughs) The other thing that they go on about is that they will never know who is a real chief uh, or not. It's just so confusing. Like who who has the chief status? And I don't know who to listen to. And the thing that like blows my mind about this, like this, that's a problem that's going to be faced by any government with any other government that you deal with. Like, who's the real president of Venezuela? I have my thoughts. Apparently, the rest of the Canadian government has different thoughts yeah. that I disagree with. <laughs> they did end with a, a bit more filling out of their Tides Foundation conspiracy theory. And I want to say that you were close to being right about what their overarching sort of like narrative of what would explain what the connections are. I I think you've had it that somehow it was linked to green energy companies and that they're really going to profit off of people using less oil and that kind of thing. So you were right about the idea that had something to do with profit, but Ezra is not worried about green energy technology. He's worried about foreigners. Born and invested environmentalists. Nope, not environmentalists, foreign oil companies. Oh, okay. Not ethical oil. Yeah, and they can launder that money. The Tides Foundation in San Francisco and Tides Canada in in Vancouver, uh, which was started off as a branch plant of the San Francisco operation, they specialize in what they call donor-directed giving, which is a fancy way of saying money laundering, as in (laughs) someone can donate money to uh, the, the term the Canada Revenue Agency uses is a conduit. So someone gives money to the Tides Foundation in San Francisco. Their identity is kept secret. And the Tides Foundation gives it to whom the original donor directed that dark money. In return, okay. Tides gets a commission, I don't know, 5 or 10%. So that money that's pouring into the Wet'suwet'en Treaty Office, that fake corporation, or any of these other bands that take Tide's money, it could come from an American competitor, it could come from an ideologue like George Soros, or it could come, frankly, from a foreign competitor, OPEC. You know, uh, this coastal gas link pipeline, Manny, it's natural gas. That's the gas link right. part of it. Right. So it's who are the biggest uh, reserves in the world for natural gas? Russia? Iran and Qatar. 
Those are the top three countries for natural gas. Now, the United States and Australia are really coming on board with their fracked natural gas. So who wants to stop Canadian natural gas from going to Asian markets? Well, I just listed you five countries, and we're talking about billions of dollars a day in this market. I mean, the world demand for oil is 100 million barrels a day. So if the price yeah. is, let's just say, 50 bucks for argument, that's $5 billion a day yeah, at absolutely. stake. So shutting down Canada for a billion, for $2 billion, is the best investment these competitors will ever make. So there you have it. It's all OPEC. Well, actually, he listed as well there Russia and America. So even them, I guess they're funneling money into the Tides Foundation and then to undercut Canada so their own oil industry will make it. My thinking is Ezra's making this connection with his own sort of like connection with dark money. <laughs> He's like, we do that all the time. Therefore, of course, that's what they're doing. Yeah. I get the Coke money so then I can promote the oil industry. So, of course, you know, they're just thinking about profits. That's all it is. Can't be that people actually care about the environment. That can't be it at all. Yeah. Anyways. Either that or they're just, you know, disillusioned, controlled, <laughs> right, by these ideologues. Yeah. Well, they're all paid. I mean, like, I mean, I guess by the end of his, like, not, like... There's a lot of people to pay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, and sadly, tons. I'm still waiting for my check. <laughs> it must have got lost in the mail. But it's this idea of, like, you, you, have, you have these companies. So someone like George Soros. So I guess what they're saying, George Soros is not himself an environmentalist. But then he pays people to pretend to be environmentalists to undercut Canadian oil sales in order for his investment in Saudi oil sands to improve or something like that. <laughs> That's the conspiracy theory that he's painted. Hmm. Yeah. So that was the end of the show. And we're on to March 3rd. And Ezra takes a break from the wet sweat and stuff. Yeah, it's only been like what? Yeah. We're on our third week of it. Oh, and the interview segment's going to bring it back. So, <laughs> But at least for the opening segment of the March 3rd show, no more wet and sweat and stuff. And uh, so this is good. This is uh, He's returned back to the story about him being investigated in order to play more. So remember when we covered it? I think I might have mentioned this. When we covered it the first time, he didn't play all the footage he said that he had. And he was like, I'll play more later. Well, it's been like several weeks and he's finally getting to the later now, I guess, and is playing more of the footage that he apparently recorded when he was in that sit down interview with the investigators. And just a reminder, this is, again, he's being investigated for violating third party campaign laws during the federal election. Yeah. In that he was promoting the sale of his book and he even mentioned on the show that he wanted it to to coincide with the election, which violates the law but then also the lawn signs that would go in the lawn with the other lawn signs during a political election so anyways that's what he's being investigated for he plays a new clip of that interview of him asking the investigators so so basically what he does he plays a clip and in the clip he's asking the investigators that if it goes to court will he see the complaint against him Right. So one of the things he argued in one of the earlier uh, clips that we played in the last episode that we covered this was him basically wanting to know who filed the complaint against him. Yeah. And they were like, we we don't tell people who complained against him. And 
Of course, he plays this off as, don't I get to see my accuser? And part of this is like, no, because this isn't court. Like, that's... Yeah. <laughs> it's an investigation, and we don't want you to retaliate against the person who brought this information forward. Yeah. Well, they respond to him in this instance saying that, because now Ezra is saying, if it goes to court, we'll like find out what the complaint is and they respond by saying we can't make that assessment and ezra loses it just like he's like well why not well i get to see my accuser (laughs) and there's again we went over it there's various reasons why even in a court scenario they won't give the identity of the complaint yeah because sometimes it's not even necessary like they have information aside from the fact that they have a podcast episode with Ezra basically confessing to the crime, you don't need to know who made the complaint. It could be any Joe on the street who listened to the podcast and went to the federal regulator and was like, eh, this looks weird. Yeah. Right? But Ezra thinks that it's the liberal government, and that's why he They're wants to know who the, yeah. the complaint is. He then is mad that the investigators have not read his book. <laughs> so he asks them straight up if they've read his book, and yeah. they say no. <laughs> And he's he's like, well, you should have. And he, you know how he does it. So he'll play a clip and then he'll talk like in his studio referencing the clips. And he says, I mean, they're claiming my book's illegal. So they really should read it. And again, it, book's not illegal. Yeah. <laughs> it's the fact that you advertised it in a certain way during an election yeah. that's illegal. Ezra's just mad that another person hasn't read his book. He He does like... He's like, well, you should buy it. He like he tries to sell the book to the investigators. They just they just don't answer. They're just like, all right. Ezra then plays a clip of him telling the investigators that if they want documents, that they should just speak with his lawyer, and they will litigate it right away. And then he asks them to please not raid his offices. Mm-hmm. And they, of course, don't even respond to this. And Ezra gets mad that they won't commit to not raiding his office. He's like, will you commit to not raiding my office? <laughs> and they're like, their response is basically like, we don't think we're going to need to raid your office. <laughs> and he's, of course, not satisfied with this. But like, why Why would the RCMP ever commit to that? Like, that is that's so... Because who knows? Like, maybe sometime in the near future, Ezra's going to do something where they're yeah. like, oh, my God, he's going to shred documents. And then they'll raid his office. Yeah. And, like, here's the thing. By him doing that, it's almost like he's making, like... Or, or signaling to them that they should raid his office. It is... <laughs> yeah. But I still don't think they would raid the office because this is... Again, it's worth reminding... The only thing that he's that's going to happen to him out of all of this is a five thousand dollar fine, mm-hmm. and I don't think the RCMP are going to raid an office over For a five thousand dollar yeah. fine. Ezra does bring all of this up though, because he did not submit any documents. Now he talks about this on the show. There was a deadline, I think it was like sometime in February, where he was supposed to, if he had anything that he wanted to share, because remember, he wasn't being told he had to share anything. Mm -hmm. But they're like, if you have anything you want to share, please submit it by this deadline. He then received an email recently by the investigator, just being sure he has nothing. So you missed the deadline, but are you sure you don't have anything to submit? It was kind of like a courtesy thing. And Ezra begins like reading way too much into it. And he now thinks this is evidence that he's going to be raided. (laughs) 
So Ezra does the only thing Ezra can do, which is he decides to send them a single document. And I have the document that he sent to them. And I'm going to show it to you. And I want you to describe to the audience what you're looking at. Okay. So this is what he sent to the RCMP <laughs> investigators. <laughs> this isn't real. This is what he sent them. <laughs> I don't believe this. Did you probably nope. bring this up? <laughs> this, is, this is what he sent them. It says top secret with an explanation mark. The K is backwards. Oh, let me get to it. <laughs> so it says top secret, and I think it's crayon. I'm not really sure. Um, different colors for each letter. Yeah. And then instead of a C, it's a K, and the K is backwards. <laughs> <laughs> You've then got stick figures. One stick figure is Ezra, and how I know is because Ezra has his name written under the stick figure with a sign, uh, with a arrow pointing towards him, saying "Ha ha ha!" and his book. Well, the, the Sopranos. It says "True Dope is a meanie" instead of the the Lebranos. or Lebranos, <laughs> not Sopranos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True Dope is a meanie. Um, plus his lawn signs equals money, and then you have another stick figure with very luscious hair. In tears, um, with a name of Trudeau and an arrow pointing to that stick figure, it says "wah wah wah" beside it, and it says "I like what is it? I like weed on his shirt <laughs> <laughs> with a with a yeah with a marijuana leaf." Yeah. And uh, just to be even more specific, there are rolling green hills that these stick figures are standing <laughs> on in the sun in the background. <laughs> That's it. Uh, you got it. So this is, uh, that's what he said to the investigators. And I have to say, like, that's a, if he wasn't such an asshole, that's a pretty good troll. <laughs> but at the same time, like, he's going to get, if he doesn't get the full $5,000 fine for being such an obstinate prick. Like, oh, my God. Because the thing is, like, he didn't have to give them anything. They weren't asking for anything. They're just like, if you have something. And so he's going to send them this. Great job, Ezra. You did it. You did it. You did it. You're such a a rebel. <laughs> so that's that. That was all he had to update on his investigation. So I guess we'll find out more in the future. Mm-hmm. Then we get uh, more Chief... Chief Woos and Wet'suwet'en talk. So in the interview segment, Ezra has Kian on to talk. And because apparently Ezra has now sent him on some like mission in the Wet'suwet'en area. He's got more to do there other than his one question he got to ask that one time before they ran away in fear. And the first thing is that Kian did one of his harassment things to Chief Woos. And when they asked him, well, how did you, like, get near him? And basically, Kian described, he staked out the only gas station in the whole area and just stayed there for a long time, knowing that eventually Chief Woos would have to go there to fill up. So he's, like, stalking this guy at a gas station. That's some dedication. And then, of course, he shows up, and then he, like, goes and asks him, like, are you a real chief? 
why did you take the title away from women and stuff and like harass until he got yeah. his car and drove away. They again uh, then focus on the Tides Foundation and they add another foundation to that list. One interesting fact that you published the other day, the Tides Foundation, and you mentioned also the Pembina Institute, they pay this fake First Nations office. It's not an actual First Nation Indian band under the Indian Act. It's a, it's a registered corporation. They take money in from Tides and Pembina. I wonder if Frank Alec is actually getting his instructions from the Tides Foundation in San Francisco, from Pembina, from Sapporo Berman and Stand Earth, which are based in the States. I don't think anyone's even asked, and I'm pretty sure Carolyn Bennett and Trudeau haven't even asked, unless they know and they're fine with it. As far as I can tell, Pembina Institute is a lot more connected to industry than some of these other NGOs. So they've yeah. received money from Shell and, and other things like this. And I mean, but on the other side of that is they do promote green energy initiatives, stuff like this, and yeah. that climate change is real. So my guess is they want to keep a close tie there to try to influence these oil and gas industries. But again, the only reason to think that these uh, think tanks and NGOs would be supporting the wet sweat and people is because they're receiving direct money from foreign oil companies. Of course. I hear that argument a lot, so. <laughs> no, but it's true. A lot of people believe that. They don't really believe. Did they get it from Ezra, though? <laughs> no. No, like a lot of people don't listen to Ezra. Yeah, but I wonder, often wonder if, like, it starts from him and then it, like, I don't think he has much power the... as we're giving him. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying power, but it's like... Because I've heard these sentiments, like, before Ezra existed on... Like, well, before Rebel this, News in was this, Yeah. There's clips that I found online of him harassing people about mining projects and mentioning the Tides Foundation back to when he was on Sun Media. So this is, this is a talking point of his that has existed for a very very long time but i think these talking points also come from like conservative even in like republican prs right like and they've been going on for a while well we're gonna get more of it so here's kian and ezra talking about foreign oil yeah you're right uh they the, the organization rakes in tens of thousands of dollars every month uh from i believe it's monthly or maybe it was uh annual financial statements we're looking at, they rake in a lot of capital from these foreign entities, uh, including Forest Ethics, actually. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's speaking with support Berman. And you're right, we don't know who who is ordering him, uh, where his negotiation um, is coming from. Where what, what are his asks? What does he want? Is it OPEC? Is it any other foreign entity? We have no idea because unlike a regular elected official, he has no accountability whatsoever. And I mean, uh, the the people in this community, the people in the the different the five clans of the Wet'suwet'en, I think they expect some sort of accountability. But the problem is, this guy has had this hereditary title for a year, a, a really weirdly acquired hereditary title. So um, his his uh, ability to you know, consult with the people of the community is is much less than what the ability of uh, the uh, original. Chief Wu's would have been, who's still in Smithers, B.C., still living in the community. Uh, she still claims that she's the Chief Wu's, and uh, she's regularly consulting with the people of the community through that 
um, coalition that her and her female peers created. Uh, they were using that coalition so that they could talk about important uh, contentious issues in the community. But when it comes to this new, uh, newly minted Shifus, there's no intention to do that whatsoever. He's just sort of going his own way, doing what he wants, uh, and acting like he represents the people of this area. So we get another NGO listed there. So we have Forest Ethics, which is now called Stand.Earth, hmm. which Keon says is foreign, but it is run by out of both Canada and the U.S., so I don't know if that necessarily counts as being foreign. Yeah. And it's really pretty small. They just seem to have the goal of protecting forests. Which is <laughs> <Just> like, good. <laughs> but notice again the frame here. Frank Alec is portrayed as this unknown entity where we need to be suspicious of what motivates him. Is it OPEC? These foreign-funded environmentalists? And yeah. yet, then Darlene Klein is this who, again, received money from the pipeline, uh, though this is never mentioned on their show. Yeah. She's a chief of the people who's just, she's had her title stolen from her by a man and who everyone loves, and she's in the community trying to build bridges. Yeah. And the thing is, maybe there's some truth to that narrative, but no Mm. evidence is offered whatsoever. of course. And, of course, all the evidence they do offer for Darlene Klein ignores, again, the fact that she received money from this pipeline, which should be an obvious motivating factor, if any, if there was one. And that's, yeah, I mean, I guess to close, just to repeat one thing, is like, there is going to be schisms that exist in this community. And no doubt there are supporters of Darlene Klein in this community. Yeah. And I just don't think it's up to Kian or me to weigh in on that conflict. And decide who's the legitimate chief. Yeah. It's not up to us. Now, I personally, if you were to ask me, I prefer democracy over some sort of hereditary system. And everyone knows my views on the monarchy. <laughs> it should be abolished. Yeah. But the point is, uh, maybe we shouldn't be telling indigenous people how to govern themselves. Mm-hmm. That's it. The thing is, we're going to get a lot of this what's what and stuff. And, and part of that is... Because it's right up his lane of him mm-hmm. being so obsessive about pipelines and the oil and gas industry. Because he himself has received a shit ton of oil and gas money through either the Coke family, but also the Fraser Institute and all these institutes that he's involved with that are super pro oil and gas. So this is going to be his thing. And it's just amazing seeing like all these little narratives unfold and, and the, the other part too is like it's a repetition thing like yeah. i feel like he has it in his mind i'm just going to repeat fake indigenous fake indigenous fake indigenous fake 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 then all of a sudden his audience are just going to be like wooed into a trance they're like yeah they're fake they're fake they're totally fake yeah and like that's what he's trying to accomplish out of all this but that's it I was going to do a good news thing, but I guess I will just say, I don't even know what to call it. It's kind of like a weird, hopeful, yet it also was a failure kind of story, which is I went to the NDP Provincial Council to promote this emergency resolution, which was to get the MPPs of the NDP 
to motivate them to oppose Bill 168. For those who don't know, Bill 168 is a bill that has been put forward by the conservatives that adopts the IHRA's definition of anti-Semitism. And this definition basically links anti-Semitism with the criticism of the state of Israel. Now, for even people who are supportive of Israel, this should be absurd to everyone because Israel is a state. It shouldn't be linked inherently with Jewishness such that any criticism of Israel is therefore criticism of Jewish people. Since there are many Jews in our country that yeah. criticize Israel, and that should not be seen mm -hmm. as anti-Semitic. So we went to go pass this emergency motion, and a lot of shenanigans happened. <laughs> I'm not going to get into many of the details, but it was uh, a lot of internal hurdles to overcome to even bring this to the floor. But we managed to do that. And when it got to the floor, it did not pass. But there was some, I guess, good in that it was quite split in the room. And I felt like mostly it split along the lines of the older establishment part of the party voted against the motion, where a lot of the youth and energy of the party voted in favor of the motion. And so the motion was to oppose Bill 168. Now, even for the establishment types, I got the feeling that it wasn't that they are for Bill 168. They have it in their minds that, and this is complicated for people out in the public, but what the NDP voted on recently was not to pass Bill 168. It was like first reading and then second reading. And eventually it's going to end up, if it passes all these reading votes, it then goes to a committee, which then they start adding things. Yeah. And in the NDP's mind, they're going, we'll be able to propose amendments, even though those amendments are clearly going to fail. Mm -hmm. But that's what their thinking is. But meanwhile... Their voting record right now is signaling to the public that they're actually in favor of Bill 168. Yeah. And I don't know why it's so difficult for them to understand that messaging game that you should just oppose it in principle. Because even if it gets to committee, your amendments are going to fail anyways. So why are you signaling to the public now that you're for it only to reject it in the committee when no one's paying attention? Mm -hmm. So the whole thing is really stupid. And I wished this motion would pass. But I mean, the Palestinian issue within the NDP party is something that I've fought for for a while. And we actually got a floor vote. We overcame a bunch of the hurdles to get it to the point where we had a vote. Yeah. And I have to say that that was a weird victory in itself. Yeah. And I guess I want to say to people, I guess, in the good news part, is that as much as getting involved in party politics is frustrating as hell, and demoralizing and demotivating that if you fight hard enough, you can try to move the people to the left. Yeah. We're not done with that mission yet, but don't lose hope. Get involved and try to stick with it. And if it's frustrating, talk to other people who agree with you that it's frustrating and find that camaraderie or something. But don't give up on it because if you give up on it, you you give it up to the party establishment that is clearly out of touch with everything and mm -hmm. annoys the hell out of me. <laughs> As someone who sticks with the party. but So that's it. That's what I have to say. If you enjoyed what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. 
If you want to stay informed about what we are doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have an Instagram account, News Imperial. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up. You can find the link on our Twitter. Lastly, you can email us any question at Imperial News, imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at stryanim.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening, and if you are a law enforcement officer, I would like for you to commit to not arresting me if I ever break the law. And if you don't submit to my demands, I will send you a cartoon to let you know how I feel about it. <laughs> Consider yourself warned. <laughs> Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.